Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Today on the show, we have Jerome Maldonado. Jerome, thanks so much for being here. How's it going? Thank you so much. I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? Good. We're doing good. Uh, Before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about Jerome. Since 1993, Jerome has been a self-employed entrepreneur. His first introduction to real estate concepts came from his journey through building and developing a network marketing company, which resulted in the concept of understanding how to create cash flow through real estate holdings. In 2003, he founded J. Jacob Realty LLC, which he is still currently the active qualifying broker. Jerome has current real estate holdings in vacant land, retail strip centers, and multifamily apartments. He is also the founder of several other corporations and an investor and equity owner in several diverse companies and industries. In addition, Jerome is currently producing training content and speaking on related real estate and business platforms. So, wow, tons of experience and knowledge here, guys. I know I left a lot of stuff out of your bio, Jerome, but I'll leave it to you to tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Thank you, Lolita. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for for the elaborate introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lolita Kyle, you know, I, I, I kind of stumbled into real estate. It's kind of funny. I, I was just in traditional business and uh, through my success in traditional business, I started investing in real estate um, primarily because we needed an office initially. And um, knowing that I didn't want to pay rent, I, I expanded upon buying a bigger facility than I needed and, um, and leased it. And through the success of that one property, um, I got into some residential holdings and um, we slowly started um, to multiply one holding then two and then three in the residential sector. And so making small profits, 20,000, 30,000, $50,000 turns on each um, residential um, investment and also having cash flow from them. Um, I started expanding into the retail sector because I had multiple units that I can, uh, I was able to leverage my money with and I was able to get more cash flow and um, these, anyway, they were able to pay themselves off. And as we had success in one building, we started going to a second building and then a third building. And then we started building our own buildings and that kind of led into the development of, um, of real estate, um, which we currently do. And um, I'll tell you, we've had a great run um, with some hiccups in 2000. 2009 and even into 2010 with the real estate sector uh, we were able to diversify a lot and um, and get through the recession by buying more real estate and I can kind of elaborate that here in a little bit but it's been a great it's been a great run and I'll tell you that it's been a fun run and in spite of the ups and downs and all the changes and directions that we've made in real estate over the years awesome thanks for that so today we're going to talk about uh, development and you kind of touched on it there, but how did you really get started in development? I mean, it's, it's probably something that's hard to just pick up on day one. So what was the story that got you started? 
So, you know, when we first started um, developing, it was from one piece of land. Um, I had bought a, 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 an acre piece of land that, um, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I, I, we had started building homes through our traditional construction company. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to maximize my profits from the home. So I took one acre piece of property that I purchased for $30,000 and I subdivided it into two lots. And before we even had an opportunity to build on it, um, I, I, when you're in real estate, you're always in the market of selling. And if you find a buyer for something, regardless of your holdings, you'll sell it if you can generate a profit. And so I landed up um, selling that property for $68,000. I had about $8,000 into uh, tearing down an old facility and um, some subdivide fees that we had. And, and we landed up making about $30,000 on that. And so I got excited about it because it was a, it was a simple transaction and um, it, it didn't take very long. And so it kind of stimulated my, pro, my, my mental state and going, okay, what if I did this with a little bit larger piece of land? And so I started, I started developing land and in the process, like I touched on earlier, um, I was also buying commercial retail centers. And so I landed up buying larger plots of land where I would go in and buy maybe two acres, three acres, and I'd subdivide that into maybe five or six residential lots. And I started selling those off and turning smaller profits on land. And then I started buying um, commercial plats and developing and building retail centers initially. And, um, and then we would lease them, have cash flow, either pay them down, some of those we still own, and some we turned for profits. But we really just got started. Kyle, real simple, with one $30,000 piece of land that we just divided it right in half. And it was, it was a real simple transaction, nothing real elaborate that anybody else that's listening to this couldn't do. Got it. And you said you did retail and some residential. Are you still doing both or are you sticking to residential mainly now? We're doing a lot more uh, multifamily and residential developments. Um, we're not doing small single family residential, but we're doing larger land developments with um, 40, 40 acre plats, 30 acre plats, and so larger subdivisions. And then we're also doing, uh, we've kind of halted on retail development. We're doing more multifamily development right now. Okay. And is there a reason why you're kind of sticking with the multifamily niche right now? Um, it's just a better sector. It's more recession proof. We, we got stuck with a lot of retail during the recession. Um, small mom and pop shops have changed. Um, it's ch there's not as big of a market for, um, for retailers in mom and pop. Service providing businesses are still really good. Um, but even as far as national tenants in the retail sector, it's changed with Amazon and everything that's happening with online marketing. Um, it's changed the retail sector substantially. So it's required us to make some changes in the real estate sector and multifamily is, produce, is producing a lot more consecutive income and cash flowing income long-term for us. So we've decided to halt on retail and move more towards that sector. Okay. And how long are these projects that you're doing kind of taken from start to begin or start to end? It just depends on the project. So if we're doing typically any type of full development project takes anywhere from two to four years. Um, so if it's a smaller one, if it's a real small one, like the, the small land deal that we did, that could, you could do one of those in probably less than six months. Um, if you're doing something that uh, requires a lot more um, development infrastructure, where you're talking about roads and utilities and, and um, gas and water models and stuff that's involved with uh, developing, those typically take a couple years because you've got plans, infrastructure development, um, you got municipal um, hearings um, for zoning with building and zoning and other municipalities 
um, as far as public works and stuff that it takes some, several meetings that only typically happen once a month. So usually it's a year of engineering and, and then you get a year of infrastructure development before you start turning profits on larger developments. What would you say the one biggest holdup is when you're doing a project of that size? Um, there's probably two big holes. One is, is obviously money, cash flow. And um, the second is time, you know, and how long you can hold that cash to be able to make that project financially feasible. And so those are two things that are really important to keep in mind if you're going to be doing larger holdings and larger development. Right. Okay. And you touched on it a little bit, but can you kind of take us from a high level start to finish how you see um, a development kind of happening? So typically I'll go in and I'll shop the land. I'll, I'll t typically meet with a uh, city development um, people that I'll go in and sit down with the uh, professionals in the municipality that I'm going to develop. So I'll go down and sit with city planners typically. And I try to map out the city or the uh, county or the municipality and where we're at. And I, I try to look at where the growth patterns are because typically there's bonds and um, there's legislation that pass for road and infrastructure development. And so my, my recommendation is always to follow the city growth plan of whatever city that you're in. And so if you sit down with your city planner, they already have this stuff mapped out for years to come. And so all you do is instead of going way far out with like a 10 year projection, you just kind of hone in on where those developments are currently uh, approved and where the road bonds and street bonds have been approved through legislations. And, um, and then you can start picking up and looking at land in areas to develop right in that area and even developments that are distressed in those areas that, and there's of uh, their improvement districts within those development areas, they're really attractive to also go into and redo redevelop. And, um, and, and sometimes there's um, a larger profit to be made in, um, in public districts that are, uh, that are improvement districts as opposed to fully new developments. And so when you go in and sit with your development planner, that's, first and foremost, the most important part to get started with. Then once you know that you're in an area that's financially feasible, um, then you go in and you start doing your homework based on cost. So what you do is you take, I usually look at distressed properties first, and then I also look at fully developed, newly renovated or new construction properties. And then I look at the lease rates that are going into those properties, what people are paying currently for rent, whether it's a residential or commercial um, rent for, for retail or restaurants, or whether they're just um, multifamily rents, and what they're paying for one bedroom or two bedrooms. And then I just break down the numbers on what the construction costs are. And so typically um, we'll go in and, and because of our experience, we can typically, we typically already know how much it's going to cost us to build a certain type of facility to a certain, um, to a certain construction type that we're looking for. Um, but, if, but if you don't have that type of experience, you can go in and you can talk to people. There's what's called bid rooms um, in most cities. And it's this, these bid rooms, you can be a part of them for like $200, $300 a month. And it's worth the investment for people that are developing, especially if you're going to go in and spend tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of dollars on a project. It's worth spending $300 a month to be able to go into these bid rooms and look at larger projects because it gives you the data on the computer of exactly what these larger projects are bidding for. And it doesn't even have to be in the area that you're building in. If, if you can find a project that has similar square footage costs and they're um, similar um, construction types, because they're going to, they're going to have the same type of public work requirements as far as like sidewalks, parking spaces, um, so forth and so on green space, which is the landscape areas. 
And so if you could see what those projects are bidding for, you can get a really good idea of what your project's going to cost you mm. minus the engineering and the architectural work. And then you can get bids on that stuff. And, and so you want typically for architectural and engineering, you want to figure probably about 10% of the construction cost. So if you take your construction cost, take about 10% and know that that's what's going to cost for, for your engineering and, and architect work. And then you kind of get, get those numbers. Then you kind of have a good feel. And I'm real conservative. So I usually up it by another 10% just to be not knowing what the market's going to be in two years. I want to make sure that my lumber costs are good. I want to make sure that um, all my construction costs are good and I have a little bit of inflation built in there. And so um, that stuff's real important. Do you break out when you, when you're done with a development and you're getting ready to sell it, do you break it out and sell individual pieces or do you sell it as a whole or is this something that you um, build and then hold on to? So we've done both. So we've condoed out office um, buildings and stuff before where we've done um, professional office complexes and then we've sold them off. We, we, they're called condos, office condos. And so we've condoed them out before where we've subdivided each individual unit and sold them out. Um, that was very profitable before the recession. So, um, Right now, because we're not really dealing in office and retail, we, we've, we've held on that, but it's definitely feasible. And right now, the market for office is still very, very, very good. Warehouse is really good. But for multifamily, we typically develop a whole section and then we, we hold it. Now, for residential, we, we build out and develop the infrastructure, the roads, the utilities, individual lots, and then we sell them off to other builders. And then since we're also a builder, we also build on a few lots and then we sell about um, two-thirds to three-quarters of whatever we develop. Okay. So as a developer, obviously, you mentioned cash flow is one of the main uh, risks, I guess you could say. And so what could you have done differently in 2008 to mitigate that type of risk? as a developer <laughs> so what we're doing now um we had we had cash flow from our traditional business but we were inundated since we were in the construction industry and our cash flow came from our construction company our construction company also halted in the amount of revenue that was being brought in and so what we've landed up doing is in order to get through the recession there was a time where i sat down and i told my wife uh, i remember in December going into January of 2000, from 2008 into 2009, I remember sitting down and, and just calculating what we were calling trash can money at the time. It was money we were paying in just interest payments um, for properties that we had been developing. And it was in the six figures a month that we were paying out just in payments. And so we got very expanded upon it. And we had, we relied on the, on the cash flow of our businesses to pay for them. And at that time we had cash flow from our buildings, but our buildings were still not paid off. So our cash flow was just servicing our debt. And it was only servicing the debt on the ones that had rental income. So the ones that were newly developed, it didn't have any rental income. We were just servicing debt from our cash flow. And so it became very challenging. So the way we landed up servicing that debt, Kyle, is we landed up buying more real estate. And so as crazy as that sounds, we went to Phoenix and I landed up going into Arizona and we started buying single family homes, fourplexes, and, and we started buying them for really inexpensive rates because it was one of the most distressed areas in the nation at the time. And so we were able to get a lot for our money at that time until the Federal Reserve came in and they started putting um, parameters on investors because there was a lot of Canadian investors that came in. And so what I would do different is what we're doing now. We have, instead of just relying 100% on our traditional business for cash flow, Kyle, um, we've, uh, we put larger down payments down on our 
properties now um, where we would try to leverage these things on real estate contracts with 10% down, 15% down, or we go for traditional financing and try to get them for under 20% down payments. And because we were the general contractor, we put even less down because we would take the margin that we would typically make as a GC. And then we would, we would utilize that as part of the down payment money and we'd build it out ourselves, which made our down payment even reduced. So it was kind of, it, it was, it was kind of a double-edged sword because what we were trying to do was we was able, it allowed us to grow the way we grew, but then on the back side of it, when the recession hit, it kind of slid our throat a little bit because we were, we were not as liquid in our properties as we should have been. So now we go in with a minimum of 30% down. Um, and if we can't, if, if we can't go in with 30% down, we don't buy. Why? Because we want our, we want to be able to service that debt and we want, the, the facility, the property itself to be able to service that debt itself without any issues so that that way we're not dependent upon our cash flow from our traditional business to service that debt because that's a very high stress way to develop. We were able to get through it without losing any properties. I thank God every day, but it was a lot of work and a lot of stress. And the older you get, the more you want to reduce that. So if the way to get through it now is uh, really putting larger down payments, finding capital investors if you don't have the money yourself. Um, to be able to help you put larger down payments on those properties. And if the property does not service its own debt from day one, my recommendation is not to buy it. And um, I would never pick up a property today that just doesn't make sense. I never buy properties based on performas. Um, I think it's a stupid way to buy pro uh, commercial property. Um, it, it, those performers, the performance of that property into the future is based on your ability to increase those profits yourself. And that's your profit for your pocketbook. And so everything to get through that stuff would be set up so that the property 100% pays its debt itself. Yep. That's awesome. So when you're doing a development, are you kind of sticking with the same look and feel on every project that you do to kind of maybe streamline some things or is there something that you kind of change up? Uh, so you kind of focus on an end buyer. You know, um, we're always trying to get better. And so we learn on every single project. Kyle, um, as, as many years as we've been doing it, I still learn on every single project. Um, but every project is different because you're never going to find the exact same, um, the exact same feasibility in every project. But yeah, we keep the same purchasing model for every project. And so like a multifamily, um, because you're kind of buying based on what your ability to finances at that time and what you're, you have as far as your own capital or investors capital. Um, what we do is we try to model it. We try to model properties and, and I'll tell you, I, I try to stay away from, from, uh, from D and F properties. I, I try to stay with A and B properties only. Um, it's just something that I learned during the recession was just put your money into quality. And, um, and when you put your money into quality, even if you have to buy a little smaller, um, one, you typically have a lot less headaches. You have a lot better um, renter or tenant, better cash flowing property. And the feasibility for resale is significantly higher. And so my suggestion to a lot of people is, even if you have small amounts of, of capital, try to get the best quality purchase of property that you can in the best areas, instead of settling for garbage. And, and just to be able to, to put capital together with either investors that you have, or save enough so that you can go in and buy quality instead of just quantity, you know? And so, um, so yeah, in, in that perspective, we do keep, we try to keep the same status quo as far as the quality of purchasing, whether it's land or multifamily. 
Okay, but when you're building out like three bed, two bathroom, two bed, one bathroom, how do you decide all those types of things? Oh, that's based, that's dependent on the area. So residential's a little different. So even, so it, it all depends on, on what the, that area holds. So uh, I'm in, I develop in, um, in Arizona, in, in New Mexico, right? So our economy in New Mexico is a little different than Arizona, but we found uh, models that work for us. When I find something that works for me, I do tend to stay, Kyle, in an area that, that I feel comfortable in and I know very well is okay. profitable. And so, um, so yeah, so I'll go in, like we're building in what I call um, a retirement area where there's primarily empty nesters. So that when I'm dealing with empty nesters, we've built four bedroom homes. They sit on the market longer because most people are trying to downsize. And so I know that if we go over a certain square footage, somewhere in that 2,500 square foot range, um, then it becomes a little more challenging because the empty nesters, they want less square footage, somewhere in that 2,500 square foot range, three bedrooms, two and a half bath typically, and is what we build out. And so we stay in that model. And even in Arizona, we're building up in the northern area of Scottsdale. We tend to um, focus on those same type of, uh, of uh, home buyers. And so if we move out of that, we move into a family area, then we go into four bedroom homes. So we'll change it in regards to whatever that market holds in the area that we're building and developing in. Okay. So if there's a passive investor out there that wants to invest in a development deal, but wants to learn a little bit more, where can they kind of get more education on, on how it works and, and what to invest in? Well, we have the um, elite real estate society, which is our online courses. And we, we go in, in, in depth in multiple areas with uh, people wanting to come in from a small amount of investment to a larger amount of investment. So if you go into uh, JeromeMaldonado.com or the elite real estate society.com and you um, and contact us, we can provide you with more information and an education that's priceless and being able to invest. And even when people have education, sometimes they just don't have the time to develop in regards to how we do it. And since we already have the infrastructure, Kyle, what's nice is for people to be able to come in and say, you know what, I have a hundred thousand dollars. I'd like to make that money work for me. How can I get involved in a little bit of what you're doing? And you and I talked about syndication deals in regards to multifamily and they work in the same regards with land development as um, some of the multifamily deals. Sometimes it just takes a little bit longer for the developments to be able to prosper, develop and sell off. Um, but it's a secure investment provided that you, build and develop correctly. Okay, perfect. Well, Lolita's going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jerome, what is the one tool that you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? The one tool, um, homework. I can't, I, 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 the one tool that I cannot do without is, um, is, um, is the homework and time that I put into, uh, to my education and educating myself on a deal. And it's probably the single most important thing in real estate is making sure that, that you, uh, that you sit down with a calculator. That's the tool. And you do your homework and make sure that your numbers work. And I always tell people in developing in developing and in anything in real estate, if the numbers don't work, the deal isn't feasible because numbers never lie. Mm -hmm. And so my, my best tool in real estate is a calculator. Perfect. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far and the main takeaway for our listeners? So I'd say that the, uh, you know, the biggest mistake that I've, I've made in real estate is not leveraging larger deals, utilizing um, investors capital. Um, I think we've limited ourselves as well as we've done. Um, I, I believe that I've limited my, my growth because I've self-financed everything that we've done and I think that if we would have uh, 
learned about syndication and how to put um, um, investors' capitals to work for us years back, we could have probably grown tenfold to where we are today. And so it's never too late, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing now. So we're, we're, uh, we're coming in, we're bringing in investors' capitals and investors' capital, and we uh, putting syndication deals together to allow other people's money to also help work and build our company. Well, it also helps work and build their money and their long-term investment, their long-term future as well. Great. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Um, I think the biggest thing that, uh, that needs to happen to grow to the next level is um, to continue to keep moving and educating myself. Um, there's never too much. There's never, you've never learned enough. Um, in order to continue going to the next level, it's really self, self-education. And, um, and I think all of us are guilty of, uh, of limiting ourselves on our education and um, finding ourselves getting too busy doing in our day-to-day lives. And so in order to get to the next level, there's all, I learned something every single day, Belita. And one of the biggest things is that I always find myself prioritizing busy work instead of prioritizing time for myself for self-education. In order to get to the next level, if I'm not educating myself with people that have already done what I've but I'm, what I'm looking at doing, where I'm looking at going. And if I'm not educating myself on, on, uh, on prospering myself, I'm only limiting myself. And so in order to get to that level, I think um, each and every single one of us, including myself, needs to invest more time into self-education in order to get to where we need to get. Yeah, absolutely agree. And lastly, where can people find out more about you? Go to our website. If you go to JeromeMaldonado.com, and you, you, can, you can go directly to DrillMaldon.com and it has all of our courses. It has a lot about what we got going on, our speaking engagements, a lot of our real estate, real estate developing. Um, and you can find out a little bit more about our advanced sales formula and um, the Elite Real Estate Society. I, I love the real estate sector of, of what we do. Um, I just think that there's so many people out there, young professionals, since it's graduation time and there's a lot of people coming into the market, um, they can go in and they can... Um, they can find different avenues to go out and expand their horizons in real estate. And truly anybody can go out and generate wealth in real estate if they're willing to invest the time and the education. So visit us at uh, JeromeMaldonado.com. Awesome. Great stuff. Thanks for spending some time with us and adding so much value to our listeners. And we look forward to following all your successes. Lolita, Kyle, thank you. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to have me today. And I thank you for your time as well. Awesome. Thank Thanks, Jerome. Yeah. You guys go out and have a good one. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.